thing now. Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. I am guest host Sam Davis doing the intro for regular host Alex Purdy because he doesn't like to do it. Also joining us is Alex Purdy's fan that is blowing in the background. If you don't like the audio quality, then give us money and we'll make a better effort to make a quality podcast. Ryan is going to join us in a bit um, now that he is living in... I think mountain time right now. I don't know if he's mountain time or specific, uh, not specific time, Pacific time. Uh, I'm not sure which time zone he's in right now with daylight savings, but had a little snafu with the timing, so he'll be joining us shortly. But we are all going to be here today to talk about the NBA playoffs and what's been going on in the bubble. Alex, how do you feel, man? Man, I feel, I felt pretty good about how things were going after the Thunder took the Rockets to seven. I don't know how, you know, it was disappointing, obviously, but I don't know how you could be just, like, really disappointed in, like, how the overall season went and, you know, taking the Rockets to seven games, basically being a P.J. Tucker floater away from making the second round, and then watching the Rockets get their absolute asses kicked by the Lakers, a team that they thought they were a great matchup for and that they were going to beat for some reason. Which really made no sense. Like, the Rockets just got, the undersized Rockets just got done cooking elite post-scorer Steven Adams, so they thought that surely they can handle a scrub like Anthony Davis. Right. Not sure what their thinking was. I'm pretty sure they were, like, putting all of their hopes and dreams on one regular season game that happened when Russ hit like seven mid-range jump shots and they beat the Lakers once in the regular season, mm-hmm. like or post small ball at least. And I think that that's what they were kind of all in on. And I think they forgot the fact that they are built around two of the biggest losers in the NBA. Whew. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's, that was kind of, I basically was the one that kind of, put this pod together and it was really so i could spout some takes that i've been had kind some of, shit to talk yeah i have to spout some takes um we'll go ahead and just start with the rockets so to me it was so unbelievably satisfying i mean a lot of most most people listening probably know that i am somewhat of a lakers fan i mean obviously the thunder are my favorite team but i also really like the lakers and lebron So it was extremely satisfying to see them kind of just steal the will of the Rockets to play basketball. Because by the end of that series, they just looked like they were kind of done. Um, And that was really a joy to watch. And so when when I say that they're built around the two biggest losers in the NBA, I don't really think there's much you can dispute about Russell Westbrook being a losing player at this point. Um, we saw it pretty much, you know, at least the last two years he was in Oklahoma City. I'm not going to, you know, he did what he could three years ago. But the last two years, you could tell that things were not heading in a positive direction for him as his game deteriorated and his mentality did not, uh, didn't change to uh, kind of uh, go with that, I guess, is what we'll say. And then with Harden, I don't see how you can look at him as anything but a loser and my reasoning behind this is is that he looks like shit most of the time every year in the playoffs like he had one year with Chris Paul that they might have beaten the Warriors if Chris Paul didn't get hurt but pretty much every other year of his career he's just kind of sucked in the playoffs and not been the same player and can you name one thing about James Harden's game that he has changed to maybe have more success in the playoffs because I can't. The only thing I see every year is that he just kind of doubles down on what he's been doing. And it doesn't work in the playoffs. Everyone knows that it doesn't, except apparently the Rockets and James Harden. And to me, if you're a player that goes into the playoffs and fails the same way every year, I'm just, you're a loser. Yeah. Do you think Daryl Morey at this point, is he to blame for this team construction or do you think he knows all the things we know thinks the same things and he's just like there's really nothing he can do for the team at this point so i and i think that this you can blame 
a lot of this on Harden as well because Harden really wanted them to trade for Russell Westbrook. And I think that the owner kind of sided with Harden. I don't think Daryl Morey, if you locked him in a room and gave him truth serum, I he would not have traded for Russell Westbrook. I have no doubt in my mind. There's no way that Daryl freaking Morey likes the way Russell Westbrook I honestly does. think Daryl Morey would have rather blown it up and traded James Harden for more assets than the Thunder got for Paul George. Like, I think he rather would have done that than trade for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I, I think that Russ is probably just everything that Daryl Morey stands for in basketball. Russ just is the opposite of that. So I think in that sense, it is James Harden's fault in that regard. And at the, like, if you look at it, he was playing with Chris Paul. Why did they trade Chris Paul? It's because James Harden couldn't get along with him. He couldn't handle the fact that there was another guy on his team that was basically critiquing the way he played. And, like, again, loser mentality. I'm sorry. Like, if you're playing with a guy, Chris Paul, who I know is not the most playoff-tested and successful playoff player, but he fit really well with what they wanted to do, right? Like, he's a guy that when he's off the ball – He's going to have gravity. Teams are not going to ignore him like they did with Russell Westbrook. He made it possible for Clint Capella to exist, um, and that really helped James Harden. I don't, like, look at this playoffs, and the Rockets literally could not run pick and roll because they didn't have a human being that could set a pick and roll to the basket. So it really put it all on James Harden and, to a certain extent, Russell Westbrook to create all of the offense and you saw it against Lou Dort. There were a couple games where Harden didn't know what to do, and it was because they didn't have a legitimate screen setter that could get him switches off of the best defender that has guarded him this season. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I'm more inclined – here, I'll say this. I don't like Daryl Morey. I think he's – like he talks so much shit, and he's never won anything, and people give him so much credit – and if you look at where the Rockets are and where they're headed, I don't see how anyone could look at that as a good job by Daryl Morey. But I put more blame on where the Rockets are in terms of having Russell Westbrook, a player who doesn't really fit with anybody in the NBA at this point, and they have nowhere to go. I put more of that on James Harden's inability to get along with Chris Paul. Admittedly, not the most likable star in the league. I will give you that 100%. He is he was great this year, but he was the man on the Thunder. Like there was no one questioning him. And if he's on the team with another star, we saw it with Blake Griffin, there's going to be issues. But I think you have to evaluate the basketball situation and how do you look at that? We knew the night that they traded for Russell Westbrook that it was a weird fit, right? Like we were talking about that on our podcast that we did it was always not going to work. Yeah. The crazy part is that it kind of did work. And so I think that's why a lot of people, maybe they overthought it themselves. It was working in the regular season, but James Harden is always working in the regular season. Like this is, that's nothing new. It's not shocking. Like if you get one game against somebody that you just have a completely different play style, like, yeah, you're probably going to catch them off guard. They haven't, specifically practiced for you and it's going to be fine that doesn't work over the course of a seven game series i mean oklahoma city should not have taken them to seven games and honestly they should have like at the, when you look back they should have beat them but before they should not have gotten to that point if that makes sense and it's just you can't play like that and when you get against the big boys you are going to get absolutely exposed and that's just James Harden's play style in general, I think when we start talking about, you know, five best players in the league now, do you have to take him out of that conversation? Because, I mean, clearly he's a great individual player and he's always going to look great to be in the MVP conversation. But when you're talking MVP, the biggest thing has to be impact. And what is his impact for winning basketball? Right. Well, and to me, if we've learned anything in this year's playoffs and 
really we should learn this every year in the playoffs, but there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players, right? We know this, like this has been a thing that people have talked about for the last few years. There are guys that, you know, we saw it with the Clippers, with Montrez Harrell. You see it every year with Rudy Gobert. He's amazing. His numbers are great in the regular season. And then you get in the playoffs, you get against a team that is able to identify your weaknesses as a player, and they're going to figure out ways. They're NBA basketball players. They're going to figure out ways to take advantage of you. And with Harden specifically, any player that essentially gives up part of the court to the defense and just says, I'm not shooting a shot from this part of the court, like that is playing so much into the defense's hands. And I, I don't see how you can look at James Harden as a top five player when we see the same thing every year and he does he just doesn't change his game. Like he has not changed his game since like his second or third year in Houston, you know, and he's failed the same way over and over and over again. You know, we and Russell Westbrook, same thing. We saw him in the regular season once they made that small ball change. They essentially made Russell Westbrook the center. But when you get into the playoffs, I mean, everyone knew that the best way to defend Russ would be to play, put your center on him and just ignore his existence. And Steven Adams maybe is too slow to successfully do that at this point. And maybe the Thunder weren't smart enough to figure that out. But he got up against Anthony Davis and it was game over for the Rockets. You know, they were scoring 17 points in quarters and they just could not not put the ball through the basket. And the, the Lakers were even able to limit their three-point attempts. Like, that is how successful the Lakers were at defending them. And, you know, the Lakers are the best, probably the best team in the league. And if you just look completely and totally outclassed, like, you're just not made for that moment. And and Russ, good God, that guy, like, I, you know, I'm, I follow several Lakers people in – Every time he was in the game, they were, like, celebrating. It was like, oh, good, Russ is in the game. There was a game where he picked up his fifth foul in the third quarter, and they were, like, worried about it because it meant he was not going to be in the game, you know? And it's anytime you have a player that is actively harmful to your team in that way, like, that's – it's a fraud. He's a fraud. I mean, that's yeah. really all you can say about it. I mean, and I, I think that at this point with Russ – I don't think he's a he's obviously not a number one on a high quality team. I don't think he's a number two on a team yeah. that wants to win. Like and I'm not talking championship. On a team that wants to make the Western Conference Finals. He's not a number two on that team. Right. Because the thing is, with the series against the Thunder, and this is kinda of what I was trying to illustrate earlier, if you if you took a random person on Twitter there's a 50% chance that they would have made the in-game adjustments necessary for the Oklahoma City Thunder to beat the Houston Rockets in that series. Like, for all the things that Billy Donovan is great at, his in-game adjustments were, like, Budenholzer-esque. Like, he just refused to do things like bench Steven Adams, get Nerlens Noel in there to try and guard Russell Westbrook. Hell, even put Gallo at center, which worked sometimes. Like, do that and... Maybe you're sacrificing a bit on defense, but you're so much better on offense. There are so many things that Billy Donovan didn't do that probably would have made the Thunder win that series. And if it's like those little things that prevented a inferior team like the Thunder from beating what should have been a far superior team in the Houston Rockets, like your your star players are the problem. Those tiny little things should have neutralized. I mean, even those tiny little things could have more neutralized James Harden. They should have easily neutralized Russell Westbrook. And, like, if you can do that with just the most basic coaching, you have major problems. And so that's why when they get to the Lakers, they didn't even need the most basic coaching because they have the star players that are just going to figure it out on their own and make those adjustments. Right. Well, and, you know, one thing also I've been thinking about is that you know small ball is all the rage and i i think small ball is it's a perfectly acceptable and good way to play basketball um but i think the best teams in the league 
are able to play small ball without playing small players. And the Rockets, you know, they went all in on small ball. I wouldn't even call that. It was like micro ball. You know, people were, they were the pocket Rockets, you know. Mm-hmm. Like they were legitimately small. Like their tallest player was 6'7 and Robert Covington. And that, to me, if you look at the Lakers, they played small ball. And like D'Antoni was talking about, hey, the Lakers beat us at our own game. But the Lakers were playing LeBron and AD at the four and the five. Both of those guys are significantly bigger than anyone the Rockets was putting on the court. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the real secret in what teams are doing. Like the Miami Heat are playing small ball with a legitimate five and bam at a bio, right? They're playing small ball with a four who is really, really stout in Jay Crowder. And the Celtics, they play small ball with guys that are six eight. You know, you can't build your team around a bunch of six foot four, six foot five guys and expect to really compete at the highest level. At the end of the day, like basketball is not that complicated of a sport, right? It's most of the time the bigger, more athletic team is probably going to find a way to win the game. Right. You know? And, you know, it's it's cute. Like I, I you know, the, the Rockets, they at least I mean, I don't think the trade they made in Capella, I think that was a good trade. They weren't winning with Capella, and they just tried something, and it was never going to work, but it's not because of trading for Robert Covington. It's because they're built around two losers, and they are, they've surrounded those losers with small players in addition to that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's essentially where I am on the Rockets. Um, you know, I, I will say that I hated – having to watch two series in a row of the team that I was rooting, like my two favorite teams having to play that team because they're absolutely miserable to watch. Like, my God, they're awful to watch. Like, just complaining, flopping. P.J. Tucker would not be an NBA basketball player if it wasn't for drawing charges. Like, that motherfucker is – that is how he defends, you know? It's just I'm going to put myself in a position to fall down. and Like, it's not basketball. Um it was really frustrating to watch. Yeah, that uh, the the combination of James Harden, PJ Tucker, uh, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul in the first series, like that that was absolutely yeah. brutal. There was that everyone probably knows exactly the encounter that I'm thinking of right now that involved like three attempted charges at half court, like back and I, forth in the yep. same play. It was absolutely brutal to watch. I honestly watched very little of the Rockets Lakers series because I had no vested interest in it like you and I just I am going to avoid watching the Rockets play at all costs yeah I I I don't watch the Rockets unless they're playing a team that I root for like it's Mm -hmm. literally that and that's why I was annoyed that I had to watch them as much as I did and I but it was it was legitimately great going into game four and the Rockets like you could see that the Rockets knew they were beat against the Lakers going into mm-hmm. game four, you know, like that was, that was a lot of fun to watch them just kind of like, Oh shit. We, cause I mean, they were a team built with no second option and they had nowhere to turn. It's like the thing we do is not working and we're screwed essentially. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, let's move over to another fraudulent team, um, in the Los Angeles Clippers who obviously, you know, we all know they, they just blew a 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets, who, you know, 2-3-1, you know, overcoming 2-3-1 deficits in a row. It's pretty amazing stuff. Um, how do you feel about, are you in the team that the, the Nuggets are just this incredibly resilient team that overcame 2-3-1 deficits and they won this series? Or are you of the belief that the uh, the Nuggets got by the Jazz because the Jazz kind of suck and the Clippers just completely folded? Yeah, I think I would lean like I don't want to say I'll say like 65-35. That's kind of specific. 65 being uh, the Clippers blew it, and 35% being that the Nuggets are actually a good team. Cause I really do like the Nuggets. Like Nikola Jokic 
is one of my favorite players to watch. Um, he's enjoyable. Jamal Murray is fun to watch when he's hot, and he's been absolutely insane during the playoffs. So I really do think that they're a good team, but I also do think personally that the Clippers were the best team as a whole in the playoffs. And, you know, there were a lot of, like, pretty much all the experts thought that as well. And it just comes down to what I'm sure you'll talk about is their mentality. They were, they've thought of this like they were, they were meant to be here. This was nothing for them. And there was just a nonchalantness about it. Like they had earned an NBA title already when they're not even to the conference finals yet. And so I think that just put them in an absolute hole. And it's, you know, speaks to how much not even team chemistry, because the guys all like each other. I don't even know what to say about their mentality, how they could all collectively think that way to put them in the position to where they were. But I think that is the majority of what happened to them. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely probably more of like an 80, 20 split in terms of, because to me, if the, if the nuggets were a great basketball team, they wouldn't have gotten down three, one to the jazz. Like if we're just being honest, um, I, and I, I, am with you. I love watching Jamal Murray cook. And I, I mean, I think Nikola Jokic is probably the best passer I've ever seen of, and that's like not passing center. Like he's probably the best passer I've ever seen. Um, but I think the Lakers are going to have a pretty easy time with them. If I'm being completely honest, they, you know, I, you don't want to take too much from the regular season. And you know, I've kind of talked about how they're, it's definitely two different things, but if you just think about the Lakers' ability, like the thing that the Clippers just could not figure out was the Jokic Murray pick and roll, and the Lakers in you know emergency situations, they could just guard that with AD and LeBron and switch it and be fine, you know. Like mm-hmm. you can put LeBron on Jokic; he's not going to back LeBron down and just cook and score. Like that's that's not how it's going to happen. And if you just look at the way the Clippers defended, I, the way I, I would describe it is that they the Clippers had a lot of really good defenders, but they were not together in how they defended. You had Patrick Beverly being a dumbass that was just like fouling out on the perimeter because that's what Patrick Beverly does. He's more he's more invested in him in his in himself looking good defensively than actually playing good team defense. You know, Paul George, I think realistically, if we're being honest, he's a little bit overrated as a defender, especially as a one-on-one defender. Um, and Kawhi Leonard was, he was fine, but it's just one guy. Like you have to have a unit of defenders and, you know, we can't, I mean, I can't begin to describe how bad Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams were in this series. So, um, but yeah, so that kind of, I think honestly that it was much, much, much more in the favor of the Clippers choking because Dude, in Game 7, they got up by double digits again. You know, it was down to two by halftime. But, like, you could tell in the second half the Clippers were not going to win that game. Like, Mm -hmm. you could see that they were freaking out because they were getting – they got great shots the entire second half. And, oh, my God, like, Paul George is hitting the side of the backboard. Kawhi Leonard is out there missing his butter mid-range shots. Williams is missing layups. You know, like they just freaked out and they didn't know what to do and they couldn't believe they were in the situation they were in. Um, And to me, it was it was a complete and total choke job because, you know, they handled their business the first four games of that series and they just it. It just wasn't there for them. Um, But I'll I'll start with. Hey, Ryan's here. Oh, Ryan, what's up? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I just want to concur with what Alex is saying. How's everybody doing? Um, so glad that we're here to, to discuss um, these frauds. Because, um, like, the reality of what Alex is describing is, like, they went up three games and then checked out every time it looked like they had it in the bag. Um, and I hate to, like, it's annoying to me that I'm happy to jump in here and immediately, like, make an assertion that is, like, a stupid, like, like dude bro basketball thing. But, like, the lack of, like, 
quote-unquote killer instinct that the Clippers showed in this series uh, in terms of, like, they just weren't really interested in, like, definitively putting the series away. They could have, obviously. They were talented enough to go up three games. They were talented enough to be leading by double digits in multiple elimination games. Um, It's And they just didn't... They just didn't care. Which was, doesn't make sense to me. Because well, it's so when, indicative of their approach to the regular season as well, right? Like, this is just a team that's not interested in having to play more basketball than they absolutely have to. Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me in that if you have that mentality, like, they, they clearly were a, of a mentality that they are the best team. They know they are the best team. And so then after that, you can go one of two ways with it. You can do what they did which is clearly stupid and didn't work for them. Or you can come out every game and just crush people like you should and prove it that way and then talk your shit afterwards. Like, I would much rather my best team talk immense amounts of shit after they have proven that they deserve to talk that much shit. Well, think about – I want to bring up two teams that handled their business completely differently. Let's, Let's go back to the Warriors. Right when they were first getting started as a dominant force, they went out and beat the shit out of everybody, and they were fucking assholes about it. But they were killing everybody, right? Yeah. They, you know, they won 73 games in a regular season. That first year with KD, they went 16 and one in the playoffs. Like they were absolutely ridiculously dominant. And yeah, they fucked around the last two years. KD was there. Like they hated each other. They fucked around. And but by that time they had won two titles. This Clippers team, this was the first year of their existence. That Warriors team knew that when they got into the most high pressure situations, they knew what they were gonna do. They knew they were gonna come together and play their asses off and win the games. And they also knew they had more talent than everybody. Um, but that's you know, from just a mentality standpoint, they knew they were gonna come to play. And then I want to look look at the Lakers this year, right? You could look at the Lakers and the Clippers comparably in that they both essentially were built this past offseason, right? The yeah. Lakers even more so than the Clippers. Like, the Clippers at least had Trez and Lou in their bench. Pat Beverly was there. The coach was there. The Lakers had LeBron, and everybody else was new. The coach was new. The entire staff was new. They brought it. They traded everybody for Anthony Davis. And the Lakers came into this regular season and said, we are going to be the best team in the league this year. We want that number one seed. You know, obviously they didn't get the benefit of having home court, but they established early in the season that they were going to be the best team in the league. And they played that way. LeBron James played his ass off on defense this year. That's something he hasn't done in like seven years. Yeah. Right. And that is the mentality that, might carry the Lakers to a championship this year. I'm not going to count the chickens before they hatch or whatever, but the Lakers are the prohibitive favorite to win the championship right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why I picked the, the Clippers to win it all, because even with that mentality in the regular season, they were still like they were second in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating. Them and the Celtics were the only two teams that were balanced enough to be top five in both. And that was with the nonchalantness that they had. You can't turn it on for 16 games. I get that it's a weird environment and you're in Orlando and you have no fans and all this stuff. But for 16 games, you can't turn it on and prove that like you're the mentality you had was worth it. That just blows my mind. Right. Right. It's, this is going to be slanderous. Um, the Clippers, like, they approach this with uh, almost Lakers-like arrogance. Um, like, and it's unfair to be, it's unfair to bring up the Lakers in this situation because obviously, like, they've done extremely well for themselves in getting them in a position to win a title this year. But you look at the Lakers um, after the departure of Kobe and the general sense that, like, yeah, we're the Lakers. It's just going to work out for us. Um you, like the Clippers, like absorbed that mentality and brought it onto the court in a way um, that was really unhelpful to them. Um, all, all of this while they openly denounced that way of thinking. Yeah, like yeah. they built their image as this like blue collar Lakers team, like we're the team of the people, 
and we're not about the glitz and glamour. I think their thing was streetlights, not spotlights. Right. That was their Which kind of phrase. Dumb because they're owned by one of the richest people in the universe. Um, right. Absolutely. They're no, getting like, it. Like, yeah, it's like they act like they're like the tenants at the Staples Center by choice. Like that, right. that's just that's them like expressing solidarity with the working class and not that their franchise has been a fucking joke for its entire existence. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, like, so can I can I can I release my takes? Release them. Yeah, so Ryan, you'll have to go back and listen to my my Rockets takes that I threw out there, but um so I'm going to you know, I'm going to start with Kawhi because, you know, I think the thing everything's kind of out on Paul George like but here's my deal with Kawhi. He cannot be the leader of your team. He, and you can't. I, what, I'll, what I'll say is, you won't win a championship if Kawhi Leonard is your leader. Is what I'll say. Right? He can be the best player on your championship team. Like he's proven that. But both of those situations, he was like, he just came into teams that were already built around strong leadership. And if you look at what Kawhi is, he is a guy that essentially going into his free agency, one of the requirements for him was, I want to play as little basketball as possible until the playoffs. So you have to do whatever you can do to build a team around me so I don't have to do very much during the regular season. That, I said this about Harden, that is a loser mentality, right? And if you're going to have said loser mentality – you have to be a fucking killer in every situation in the playoffs. And that dude fell flat on his face in this in game seven. And overall in the series, he fell flat on his face doing that. And I'll be honest, I was fucking terrified of Kawhi Leonard going into this playoffs, going into this season. I was like kind of secretly thinking, yeah, I think this guy's the best player in the league just because he can get a bucket whenever he wants but that dude folded like a freaking tent in this series. And the entire team being built around the loser mentality of not really wanting to play basketball. I think that that's really what did them in more than anything. Because, you know, we're talking, I think Sam mentioned that they all liked each other and stuff. And I'm not entirely sure that, like, the guys that were on the team before. Paul George and Kawhi got in were like super down with how they kind of operated. Because, yeah, Harold had said as much, I think. Yeah, the Clippers last year they operated as this like, you know, we're the underdog and they were really the streetlight, whatever the hell they talked about. That was them. But then Kawhi comes in and it's like, yeah, we're going to win because we have Kawhi. And I think the entire organization kind of took up that kind of mentality in terms of the front office because. That front office, they freaking followed Kawhi the entirety of last season. They were at all of his games just sitting there watching him, just knowing, just making sure that he knows how much they want him. And I think that the Clippers, I think Ballmer, I think they thought they won the title the night they got Kawhi. And it just, it didn't work out for him, man. Yeah, um... Do you, sorry, do you want to move on to another take, or are you looking for commentary on this one? Yeah, if you hit some hit some commentary. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I think when people people look at Kawhi, and I think we've all just sort of assumed he was clutch because we look at his like absurd true shooting numbers in the regular season and all with the Spurs and stuff, um, and we like we remember the shot against Philadelphia, and we're like, yeah, Kawhi Leonard's a killer. He took forty shots in that Philly game. Uh, he was it was like 41 shots for 40 points. Dude was right. not efficient. Dude has right. not had a history of being efficient in game sevens. Um, well, and if you really look, just because he hit that one shot, right? And in that last in last year's playoff run, like that dude was kind of broken down, and freaking Fred Van Vliet kind of carried the day in that game six where they beat the Warriors. You know, mm-hmm. like he was not the closer in that game, and I think we all just kind of overreacted. I mean. A, I mean, the Raptors would not have won that championship if either Klay Thompson or KD didn't have ridiculous injuries. Like, they would not have won that championship. And I think we all just kind of overreacted to that, and I know I did. 
because I was I was terrified. Honestly, I was a little worried. I was like, man, it's going to make LeBron have to guard him, and that's going to wear LeBron out, and the Lakers, they don't have anyone else. Like, that was the guy that scared the shit out of me, and I think, honestly, it was just kind of an overreaction based on some, you know, the circumstances around the championship last season were, I, I guess we just kind of forgot about those, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kawhi's reputation, I mean, I mean, Kawhi, when he's fully on and fully healthy, is an astonishing defender. We've like we all have seen him essentially just decide that a person should no longer have a basketball, um, and then take it from him. Uh, and then on the other end, you know, we've seen him operate obscenely efficiently in the mid range in regular season situations with the Spurs and with the Raptors and with the Clippers. Um, but I don't know how 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 to put this. Um. He just, I don't know if he is that anymore, you know? I don't know if he is willing and or capable to play at, like, first off, all defense at the level he is, like, capable of at his peak. I don't know if that's him anymore. I don't know if he has the drive to do so. Uh, um, and then on offense, you know, it's it's just really strange, you know? Right. Well, I mean, the reality is his offense is built around the most inefficient shot in the game. Right. He's ex- he's extremely good at that. And in the playoffs, it's really important to have a guy that can get that shot. You know, and if you're in a close game, theoretically, you can always get to that shot. And if you're good at it, then you have an inherent advantage over the other team. But I, to me, it just it goes it comes down to the fact that like. That guy's not inspiring anybody around him, man. Like, there is not a single Clipper that played above their level. Most of them played down this season yeah. and in the playoffs, man. And let, if we're talking about frauds here, freaking Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, man. We're talking – those are 82-game players. Those are not 16-game players. They can't defend. If you can't defend, you're not a 16-game player. Right. And the fact that Montrez won – Six man of the year. I mean, I'm not like I don't feel like super strongly. I think six man of the year is kind of a dumb award, but he didn't deserve that award. Dennis Schroeder should have won that award. Dennis Schroeder, right. in every situation, has shown that he can stay on the court at least um, in the playoffs. And so, and Lou, Lou Williams is just he's old and he's always been a bad defender. Like so. Right. Um, but you look. I mean, you look at Trez and you look at his stats in the regular season, and we talk about, like, this is a guy who can't create his own shot. So those are effort stats. Like, dude played extremely hard for not 82 games this time around. Um, Right. But then he got into the playoffs when everybody is trying, and, like, I think that exposed it, right? He didn't rebound very well at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that brings me to my Paul George take. All right? Right. Paul George is not a superstar. We know this. He's not a number one option. My take is that Paul George is not an all-star caliber player in the biggest moments that you need him to be. Therefore, I don't think he should be considered a star in the NBA. When I watched last night's game, I would have been legitimately shocked, or I guess it was two nights ago now, I would have been legitimately shocked if Paul George did come through. Right, it was, Everybody was really surprised when Kawhi Leonard didn't come through. And that is the mark of a superstar. It's like, oh shit, we've never seen him not come through before. It's like LeBron in the 2011 finals, you know? Mm-hmm. And Paul George, it's just the opposite, right? You would have been shocked if Paul George came out and was like 14 of 20 with 36 points and carried them to the, ty- to the Western Conference Finals. It would have been a legitimately shocking thing. So... That's where I am with Kawhi, with Paul George. I don't think him as your number two option is good enough because I think when you look at championship teams in general, the best championship teams, their number two option is really a guy who could be a number one option. And there's no scenario in which Paul George is a number one option. Right. I, hmm. I have kind of a hot take about Paul George. 
Um, I think mentally he is complacent. And I think this will be his downfall. I think it has been his downfall and will continue to be his downfall. I think he is totally satisfied with where he is at as a player, as a competitor, as a leader, um, you know, as a shooter, as a defender. In every aspect of his game, I think he's been pretty much assured that he's good enough for the past like five years or so. Um, yeah. Well, that I was going to say that. Like, I think Paul George is convinced that he is the superstar because he looks like that when he is on his game, when he's having a hot streak, he does look like a superstar, right? He had, and to me, that was what last year with the Thunder was. Like I was saying all year, I was like, I hope this doesn't slow down because this is not Paul George we're seeing. This is like a super version of him that we've never seen before for any extended period of time. And we haven't seen that guy since, and we really didn't see him before. So to me, I think of Paul George as more as this, just this like really high level role player that gets hot sometimes, and like his hot streaks last longer than most role players. But at the end of the day, if he's not on a hot streak, the guy kind of sucks. Yeah, I um, <laughs> this is, I don't think there's anything we can say about Paul George that is more damning than what uh, Dragonfly Jones and Lejethro Jenkins said on their podcast. Uh, which is that he is the LeBron James of Chris Middleton's. Right. And honestly, I, I, will, I think I would take Chris Middleton over him. <laughs> right, it's a little mean to Chris Middleton. Yeah. Um, like, but, I like, you look, at, you look at the players better. Paul George is compared to. Is there any doubt in anyone's mind that he is a better, more impactful player than Jimmy Butler? No one would argue that at this point. Sorry, I said no. that backwards. Yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no way you can make that argument. No, none. He's more he's more the LeBron James of Donovan Mitchells. <laughs> there you go. Man, um, I, yeah. So you like you look at G- what Jimmy has done and I think objectively like you look at Paul George and Jimmy Butler and you don't really understand why Jimmy Butler would be this much more effective as a player. Um, unless you like really sit down and reckon with mentality, like right. Paul George coming out of this embarrassing, like three, one choke and being like, well, we didn't feel like this was championship or bust anyway. Or like yeah. last year when, you know, <laughs> Dame sinks it from 36 feet and his response is, you know, that was a bad shot. Well, and he said the exact same thing about it not being championship or bust in his first year with the Thunder. Right. You know, and like this is this is a Paul George thing. Right. He just he's actually not interested in accepting that there are stakes to this, right? Right. He doesn't like ultimate like you know, he'll talk a big game like he like he's expected to coming into stuff. But on the way out, he's at peace with losing in a way that Jimmy Butler is, like, pathologically not. Right. And, and like, here's the thing I'll say about this. And, you know, it's – this maybe can sound harsh. And what I will say about it is that it's okay that that's the case. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I don't think like, that's an indictment on him as a person. If you're – yeah, if your mentality and your happiness as a basketball player is not built around winning at the highest level – I honestly think that's healthier than a lot of examples in the contrary. The Clippers traded five first-round draft picks and a future 20-point-per-game score for him. They thought they were getting a guy like Jimmy Butler that would, if, you know, Kawhi's having an offensive players in the league. Right, right. And, like, they thought that if Paul George, or if Kawhi Leonard's having an off night in the playoffs, Paul George will carry us to where we need to go. You know, I feel like that's what they felt like they were building. And that's just not Paul George. He's a guy, if he's your third best player, then he's going to look great. It's going to be great for him because the, the standards are so much lower for a third best player than they are for a second best player. Um, and I, I just, I think the situation Paul George is in is, is not good for him. Um, and it's definitely not good for the Clippers. Like they, like they've got some things to figure out, and they might just be kind of screwed because I, 
They have a their number one option is not a good leader, and he can't get anyone to kind of come with him as he carries them to a title. And their number two is probably really a number three. Yowch. Sam. Yeah. We haven't heard from Sam in a while. Um, I mean, yeah, I still I still like Paul George and I think he can I still think he can be a capable number two on a team, but man, I don't know if it's just confidence at this point. I feel like he might be he's probably very present online, you know, and I feel like he's just gets more and more in his own head and like the the meta around Paul George is becoming Paul George now. Yeah. And you know, there's a degree to which I feel bad for him in terms of having to deal with that. At the same time, like look at the response he receives from his peers. Like the Clippers choking was like a lot of people, a lot of other players are having a lot of fun at their expense. He is not well-liked. It's crazy. Well, and to me with Paul George, like, it comes down to, in the NBA, to me, I think the most well-respected players in the league are the guys that are genuine, right? Because Jimmy Butler is a fucking crazy person, and people love him. Because he is 1,000% Jimmy Butler. Like, there's nothing you can do to change Jimmy Butler. Same with Dame. Dame Lillard, absolutely. Dame Lillard loses in the first round most years. And he's one of the most well-respected guys. He's called a killer by everybody. Yeah. And he is one of the more genuine people in the NBA. And to me, Paul George is maybe the least genuine person in the league. The guy just says shit. He says what the person he is talking to, what he thinks they want to hear. And that makes him sound like an idiot a lot of times. And he knows that, hey, I'm supposed to be this superstar, even though I'm not. So he talks like a superstar, and everyone knows that he doesn't really have the game and the mentality to back it up. Right. Not to digress um, too far. But in terms of responses to the Clippers' weird, unearned cockiness this year, I do want to briefly reflect back to when Patrick Beverly chirped at Steph Curry that they had had the next, the last five years, but the next five years were his. To which right. Steph replied, aren't you like 31? Right. Yeah. And, like, my God, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a more overrated defensive basketball player than Patrick Beverly. Like, that guy (laughs) is at times actively harmful to his team defensively. And he made first-team all-defense, or second-team all-defense. It's absurd to me that we are watching Russell Westbrook be proved correct about basketball defense in real time. Right. Right. Pat Pat Bev's tricking, (laughs) y'all. He's just running around out there. He is so fucking fake. Like he he gets the West Virginia basketball treatment, where like his his reputation is that he's a mauler and he's such a tough defender, so he's just allowed to do it. Right. Exactly. With and, no repercussions. And like he's also the kind of player that he's not so important to his team that when he picks up fouls, it's that big of a deal to them. So yeah. he can if he picks up five fouls in twenty minutes, like okay, we're gonna put a better player out there now, you know, and yeah. it's just and it's, so fake. Yeah, and he's all, he's not even like an aggressive, annoying defender in the way that like Marcus Smart or Kyle Lowry are, where they're just like oh, lobbing no. a lot. Like those no, guys are actually good. Yeah, a those guys are good, but like also like when like Patrick Beverly is taking it too far, like. He is fouling people too hard. You know, he's not selling flops. He's like hurting people. Right. Now he's he he might be the biggest fraud we've talked about in the, that was, the point of the podcast. That was something at the end of the the Nuggets win last night. Um, they you know people were going crazy for the patch pass that Jokic threw over his head with like 12 seconds to go. And they're like, I think Sports Center's caption for it was like, 
we're not talking about this Jokic pass enough with like a mind blown emoji. And what we weren't talking about enough was Pat Bev like tackling Jamal Murray after he had blown by him with 12 seconds left in a 15 point loss. Like, yeah, a borderline. Like, I'm shocked that he did not come away with an injury from that. Like, that's what we're not talking enough about. I don't understand how right. we just keep letting this guy do these things. Nah, he's such a fake. That team is just built around a bunch of fake guys. Like, that's really what I can say about them. Like, Paul George, probably the most fake, like, star in the league. And Pat Beverly is easily the most fake defender in the league. Um, cool, man. I Any more thoughts? Like, are we all kind of we all kind of think that the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets in like five or six games? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say... I'm, <laughs> I'm interested tough. to I wanna see say five. what ahead, the Brent. matchup looks like with Jokic, but yeah. I don't think it would be interesting in a super like noteworthy way. Especially right. if the Nuggets continue to like play Paul Millsap and give the Lakers like free reign to play two bigs. Yeah, well, and I, I was talking to Sam before you got on, and like the Lakers have this ridiculous thing that no one else has in that when they want to guard a pick and roll with any two human beings in existence, they're just going to put LeBron and Anthony Davis on that and switch it and yeah. be completely fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter who the two guys are like right. LeBron can guard anybody. Anthony Davis can guard anybody. And like, that's one thing I will, I will say is that, I think Anthony Davis, like, I watched a ton of Lakers this year, and I know that, so I'm biased, like, absolutely, in this in this take, but Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in the league to me, because he absolutely does everything well, you know, like, there is not a single thing that that guy does defensively that you can take advantage of, like, with Gobert, yeah, he's an elite, one of the best room protectors ever, but you can get him on the perimeter and take advantage of him. Anthony Davis can guard Kawhi Leonard if he needs to. Like, he can guard literally anybody in the NBA yeah. and still anchor the defense from, as, from being a rim protector. Like, that right. guy is the best defender in the league. I think that that's, I think that that's, I think, totally valid. Um, I think you look at, because you look at him, like, no one combines, like, the same degree of, like, comfort in switching out onto the perimeter with, like, legitimate like zero airspace rim protection the way he can even Giannis right is not the rim protector Anthony Davis is well and Giannis isn't very good as like a one-on-one guy you know right. like you're I mean, talking about long and athletic like yeah like Giannis is an elite help guy I mean I'm not you know I right. think that there, there are definitely numbers to back up Giannis winning Defensive Player of the Year, but to me, this is a situation where the stats, they don't tell the whole story, and the the reality is, Giannis is like the back line of an elite defense for the Milwaukee Bucks. A, an elite regular season defense. We have to make that very clear, right. because we saw what that defense looked like against a competent team that can shoot the basketball. <laughs> Anthony Davis, along with LeBron, was the Lakers' defensive system. Like, those two guys were why the Lakers were so good defensively. And to me, having, you know, watching the Lakers in the bubble, they're the best defensive team in the league. Like, they can defend anything. They they kept the Rockets from shooting threes altogether for multiple games. Mm -hmm. That's insane. That's not a thing that can really, like, I thought could happen. I didn't think it could happen. I thought the way the Thunder defended the Rockets was perfect. You know, it's like, well, you got to give up some threes so to not give up layups. And the Lakers were like, we're going to let you have layups, but we've got fucking Anthony Davis and LeBron back there that are just going to fucking swat your shit, and you're not going to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't... I'm, I'm discovering that I really like Denver, um, which is annoying because I don't really want to. But I like I like Jokic and I like Murray. I think they're fun to watch. But um, yeah. no, I don't think they can beat the Lakers. Yeah, I think I think they're a cool story. I think you know Jokic is 
the best passer in the league, and he's super fun to watch and skilled. But he's going from playing and eating against Montrez Harrell and Avica Zubats, and now he's going to have Dwight Howard's given him trouble. Anthony Davis has given him lots of trouble. Like it's, it's going to be a different thing for them to kind of handle the Lakers' defense, in my opinion. So um, I'm really looking forward to the series. I. I think the Lakers will probably lose Game One because that's what they that's do. That's just what, yeah. You that's know. why. That's why I was debating between whether or not it was going to be Lakers in five or Lakers in six because they love to just give give up that Game One. I, I think LeBron has just decided because it goes, and I think it actually extends beyond this season. I think there's oh, like yeah. a very long trend of LeBron losing Game Ones. I think he just Absolutely. gives it up. I, I think he's more interested in learning about you than beating you. I I think that's absolutely what it is, and it, it's really funny. Like, you know, I was really, really, I was pretty scared, honestly, after they lost to Houston in the first round or in the, the first game because I was like, shit, this might be a bad matchup and shit. And like, Harden looked amazing, but I forgot that yeah, this is just what LeBron teams do, you know, and he's gonna he's gonna get them there, and he hasn't even really had to fully exert himself that hard in these playoffs. He's had like two or three games where he's really come in and been like, yeah, I'm going to score 35 tonight. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, and to me, like if the Lakers pull this off, this is going to go down for me as one of the best individual seasons ever from LeBron. Like he's a guy like in his 17th year in the league who basically changed, like he became a full-time point guard. He is the lone creator, consistent creator on the basketball team, led the league in assists and upped his game defensively to really an all NBA level as a 35 year old human being. Like that's Mm -hmm. insane. This is an all time great year um, from, in my opinion, the greatest player that's ever played the game. So, and that's um, setting aside everything else that has happened. Oh yeah. Season. Um, I mean, the Lakers have had one of the more treacherous years ever. You know, the Kobe thing. They were in goddamn China when the whole uh, Mori thing went out. And right, exactly. Fucked up. Like, they've gone through a lot, and then obviously the bubble, but, like, they, they've gone through a lot to get to where they are. And I, I hope they pull it off. You know, this, this would kind of... I said before the bubble started that the only valid champion I will recognize is the Lakers. So hopefully they can they can finish the job. How so, how great in a season where we had arguably the most parity in I don't know like ten years and where we had this bubble set up where anything could happen. We are going to end with Lakers versus Celtics in the championship. Right. Yeah. Well, don't discount how interesting the East. Uh, playoff bracket has been you know we've got a conference finals that's what the third seed versus the fifth seed yeah exactly it's been a super interesting playoffs and the finals are going to end with literally the most common finals matchup of all time right it's true they're completely different teams than the eras you know when they were meeting all the time but still yeah it is that is pretty interesting and like the heat can win the series like for sure the heat they're really and i think I haven't seen the score, but according to Twitter, Duncan Robinson is hot right now. So they could very easily go up 2-0. Yeah, it's it's 21-21 all in the first first quarter. Yeah. So we'll see how that kind of develops. But um, So the last thing I want to talk about, um, so we're kind of running out of time. We're not going to go for the normal two and a half hours here. Um, I want to talk about Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum. And, you know, both guys... You know, very young players. They were both named for like Luca was named first team All NBA in, in his second year, and Jason Tatum was named second team All NBA in his third year. And basically, I just want to talk about how freaking good both players are because Luca, to me, like that guy might not leave the first team All NBA team for like 12 years. Like he is unbelievable he might be the best second year player i've ever seen like just straight up like that guy is unbelievable and the thing that i will say with him and tatum is that i don't even think they're close to their ceiling like if you look at the way luca plays the guy's not all that great of a shooter 
Like, he's yeah. fine. You know, obviously he hits the step backs and he takes ridiculously hard shots, but he's not all that efficient with them yet. And I think he's only going to get better. And when he is hitting that step back at a, like, hardened rate of efficiency, which I think he will, he's going to be unfreaking believable. And with Tatum, this guy is, he's taken off this year. And the thing with Tatum that really interests me is that I don't, like, there are a lot of skill things that he just doesn't have yet, and he's still already second-team All-NBA. Like, he's not all that great of a ball handler. Like, when it comes down into late games, like, he has trouble creating separation because his handle is a little bit loose, and he's turned it over several times late in games. I think that's going to improve. It's improved every year. Yeah. And his finishing at the rim is, it kind of looks a little Lonzo Ball-esque sometimes. Like, he'll just throw it up and it just doesn't come anywhere close to going in. And I think if Tatum improves as a ball handler and finisher, he's already, and he's really gotten a lot better as a defender. Like, he's going to be by far the better defender of the two. Like, these two guys are going to be that, like, Hall of Fame type two that are going to go back and forth, I think, and play each other a lot in the playoffs. Yeah. I think um, I look at Tatum, and, like, in addition to his handle and, like, his finishing, like, he's also not a particularly well-developed passer, um, which I think is ultimately, like, what set Bam up to block him on that shot um, at the end of overtime. But, yeah. Like, you look at all that, and still, like, on the merits, yeah, he's an All-NBA talent. Like, dude can defend and shoot, like, and, you know, it, and he hits, it's not he hits purely 3 and he's the greatest on shot and stuff, yeah. He hits, like, some shots that you're like, yeah, that's the kind of shit that Kobe would hit, yeah. you know? Like, I know Kobe is, like, his idol, but, like, there's some shit where he is just completely, perfectly defended, and he just, he still gets it to go. You know, and I think that as he develops as a ball handler, A, he's not going to have to take as tough of shots as he is taking now. Right. And he's just going to get better as a shoot. Like, he, he's pretty special. I think Luca ultimately has the higher ceiling because I think he might just be the greatest creator ever. Um, but if you throw in the defensive aspect, I think Tatum's going to make it closer than a lot of people yeah. think. Well, I think Tatum right now is, like, in the mold of a player where, like, he is going to be capable of being what Paul George thinks he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, my, my thing about Luca, so he is, like, all his play style is very James Harden-esque. Um, yeah. And all his stats... Like, his advanced stats, they're all very close to James Harden already. Like, he doesn't draw as many fouls as James Harden, so his true shooting percentage is a bit down. But his player impact estimate, according to NBA.com, like, he is fourth in the league. You know, two spots ahead of James Harden, right ahead of Kawhi, and behind Joel Embiid, LeBron, and Giannis. Like, he's already there. He's going to keep getting better. He's going to, you know, draw more fouls because that's the only way people are going to be able to think they can potentially stop him. And the negatives that you said about James Harden, where he refuses to play any other way than he does, like, Luka already, like, he will play other ways. He is, like, he changes it up. He does what's working. He defers when he's not on or whenever things are, like, coming at him from what it seems like like he he draws a lot of fights from guys like Marcus Morris and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that and I think it is simply from like a place of jealousy like that this young guy is just this damn good and he's also like having an insane amount of fun while doing it like he's not talking shit like some asshole he's just going yeah. out and doing it and being better than everybody else so I think like yeah, Luca's ceiling is higher than is probably the highest in the league right now from where right. he currently is. Yeah, and just think about how good of a post up player he could be, just like passing out of the post. He's so freaking big. He's six seven, two thirty right now. 
So, like, most of the guys that are going to stay in front of him are going to be smaller than he is. I think he's going to learn how to take that into the post and distribute from the post at a high level and just hit shots and just shoot over them. Like, that, to me, is where yeah. he's really going to separate himself from a guy like James Harden because he's a better passer and he's just a huge guy. Harden is, like, he's a big guy, but he's 6'4", 6'5", 215. You know, he's not... You know, Luka's essentially power forward size in today's NBA, and he's got every point guard skill you would want. So I'm, I think he's going to be amazing. I think he, like, if you had me guess, I think he's going to be a top 10 player all time, if I'm guessing today. Um, and I don't, I don't really see that for Tatum, but I, I do see a guy that, like, is going to be a freaking stud for a long time. Yeah, I see, like, Tatum, Tatum coming out his like ceiling was kind of a Carmelo type player, which yeah. you thought maybe it wouldn't work in this era. And that was kind of my knock on him. Um, yeah. But he is really like embracing. He, he fell into a perfect situation where he is like on the path to become a modern day Carmelo. Right. Right. He's also Carmelo just more who understands that he needs to be able to hit, yeah. take and hit threes at a high rate. Yeah. And defend. Like yeah. yeah, like he is literally like Carmelo did all the things in his era. He did all the things that the league was doing, and he did them at an excellent level. And that is what Jason Tatum is shaping up to do. Yeah. Now I'm 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 just you know we've talked about it before. Like there's just kind of an awe 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 inspiring amount of talent I guess in the league right now. Like those, and I think those two are kind of the next. I mean, obviously. I'm not shitting on Gian- Giannis is amazing. I think Zion's going to be great, but like those two guys are kind of the the two that I look at as like going to be the faces of the league moving forward. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and with that's that, all I have. have somewhere to be. Yeah, I think we'll 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 go ahead and end it. Ryan, do you want to get us out of here? Sure. Thanks so much for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, very briefly, I would like to acknowledge that OU played a football game, and we all watched it, and it was really neat. Um, and uh, and we all paid American dollars to do so. Paid American dollars to do so, when, which sucks. When it was but, really uh, only Spencer necessary for football. one of us to do, by the way. <laughs> I at least paid half the amount of American dollars because I split it with my brother. Right. If we were smart, we could have paid fewer American dollars, but we're not smart. Um, anyways... Just figured I should acknowledge that that happened. Um, you could subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Podbean. Um, follow us on Twitter at rwmaxi at purd happily. That's p u r d underscore h a p l e y, and at not that Sam Davis. And we'll be back with more uh, sometime in the future. We'll find out. <laughs>